Welcome. My name is Bill Munhausen, and I'm your host for The Key, Christian Ideas and Activism, based in Lake of the Ozarks in central Missouri. We talk about diverse topics from a Christian perspective. Our team of local residents includes David Batty, Matt Burns, Stacy Shaw, Ike Skelton, and Deanna Walton. God has equipped all of us to speak life into our community, and this program will be a forum for people to share as God builds his kingdom among us. No subject is too big or too small, because everyone's story is unique. Can Christians be more purposeful? Can we be more um, offensive? That sounds wrong. We don't want I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know some of us can be I know I can. <laughs> offensive. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, the thought is we, we, we kind of react to all of these things that are thrown our way. And uh, as I was studying, you know, what Curtis Bowers was talking about with the agenda, it seems like the left or people who are um, not conservatives are good at making lists. Mm-hmm. And they're good at making lists and then implementing lists. And they're patient. They, yeah, and they're patient. They, they see the long term. Yes. And there are a number of things that... that Kind of, I want to bring up about this, but can we do the same thing? Should we be making lists? Yes. And um, implementing a list, a strategy to purposefully take back the culture. Absolutely. I, I think that should be taking place. Uh, there's a pretty significant difference uh, in the two sides in regard to that. Uh, when, when the Christian moves ahead uh, uh, offensively, uh, with uh, with an avenue for sharing the truth, for making a difference in a community, uh, they're pretty quickly attacked. Mm. Yeah. And so they're kind of forced to be uh, a little bit on the defensive, where the opposite isn't so true. I mean, yes, there are Christians, there's conservatives that, that, that certainly attack uh, the agenda of the left, but uh, it's not... Uh, nearly as often inconsistent as it is the other way. So I don't think, uh, uh, you know, we're ever going to get away from from having to be defensive and having a good defense, the truth. Uh, but uh, uh, that does not mean that uh, you don't uh, have meetings, you don't talk, you don't brainstorm, you don't put together uh, good plans uh, to put out good ideas. And well, Let me give you an example. The left decided a long time ago, to take over education. Mm-hmm. So they started strategically putting people, mm-hmm. and I don't exactly know how that happened, whether people individually, whether, um, was it Thomas Dewey? Yeah. Dewey. Thomas Dewey. Mm-hmm. He became, the Dewey Decimal System, the originator. Yeah, and yeah. he became the, the um, I don't know, how was he related to the public school system? He was one of the people who established it. Well, understand this, the public school system was not, I mean, the Department of Education, let's say. There was no Department of Education. Until 1974, correct. But what what that did was just usher in with expediency the policies or the ideals that were brought in by the Thomas Deweys of the world. Yeah, so Dewey, did he take it upon himself or was there some kind of a... An overarching plan that said, "Hey, Dewey, you take education." I don't know. Well, it's the same know. thing, though, with Darwin. Theorist. I mean, look at Charles Darwin. I mean, you of all people. I mean, with you know the whole idea of Darwinism, 
and the evolution lie. Yeah, no, it's you, been disproven. Yeah, okay. And I mean, and here's the point, but we still teach that as fact in our public schools and to even bring in the idea of creationism with equal exuberance is completely mocked and ridiculed now as ridiculous. Right. But whenever you understand the whole idea of Darwinism is so incredibly offensive that monkeys to men, seriously? Right. And so when you reduce it to what it really is, it's so incredibly dumb yeah, it's, it's, dumb d- it's ignorant details but it's but it's being accepted but it's being accepted and that's the same thing that Dar- that you know thomas dewey brought in it's just yeah. confusion but you see i i don't see um i don't see our side strategically thinking about this i disagree and i'm going to tell you why okay I mean, just and I'm a huge educa- education advocate, and most people know me as such because I got thrown into that fire, whether willfully or unwillfully. But I think if you look at the heavy, heavy population of children that are being homeschooled now in our country, it's pretty staggering. Those numbers are compelling. So to say that people aren't creating an answer to yeah. that, they are creating an yeah, answer, no, and I've met those moms. But the, the key term is strategic. I think, I think it is people, strategic. I think um, we homeschooled. Mm-hmm. But it was an individual thought. It wasn't because the church suggested it. It wasn't because somebody was telling us it was a good idea. It was our original thought. There's a lot of, I guess because Christians are spirit-led, the spirit That's leads true. us to to do a lot of things, but the organization doesn't. It's kind of like uh, off the record we were talking about why um, the church that I attend doesn't support me in the way I'd like to. They, I'd like them to. And it's not because they don't mean to, it's because it's not part of a plan. They don't have a strategy for how to support the ministries they support. They, they kind of do it, but there's no strategic thinking behind it. However, Deanna mentioned they're having meetings, and now they're thinking about a strategic way of doing it. So that's a good sign, but it seems like the church, because of all of its divisions and diversity, isn't very good at organizing to come up with a plan and for all the churches to join in on the plan. And that's where the left has done really well. I agree. Because they were kind of an international movement, so they kind of were inspired to all be on the same page. I think, I mean, and that's what's so terribly unfortunate. Like Franklin Graham, um, two weeks ago, wrote a letter to the churches about this new anti-discrimination policy and really what it is, it's a veiled attempt to really throttle Christians based on their beliefs and, and what they are driven by, like a biblical perspective. And so his warning was to the church. Is that strategic? I don't know. I mean, thank God for someone like Franklin Graham that has an audience to educate. Because, again, we're so guilty as churches of listening to talking points and it, sound bites. It would be strategic if Franklin Graham did what he did. And the pastors Correct. of the country noticed. Well, received it. And, and received, received the it, warning. Noticed it, received it, yeah. and communicated it. True. That and that's where the power, and that's where we need to become more strategic. But it's being willing to receive that message and output the dangers that are embedded in those laws because we really are under assault. And those kind of laws that are veiled as equality. It's really not about equality at all. And those are the conversations inside the churches we need to be having to hold our elected officials accountable. Because, again, when they lay a piece of legislation on the desk of these guys, it may have three or four or five or six good points, but it's 500 pages of, 
you know, things that really will, once extrapolated, will gut so many of the things that we hold dear. And I don't think we can even weigh how serious. But pastors, here's my thing. Pastors are going to have to become more accountable. They're going to have to engage at a different level. And they're going to have to see the big picture in order to be better shepherds. And if that offends people, it's just going to have to offend them because they're too, they have blinders and it's safe that way. But we're moving into a day and age where they're going, in order to be responsible shepherds of their flocks, Mm -hmm. they're going to have to listen with a different set of ears because their flocks are in danger. So in terms of strategic thinking, it seems to me the very first thing that needs to happen is we need to have a much better way of communicating to the next generation. All of our churches have Sunday schools, or most of them do, but I'm kind of clueless about what our Sunday school teaches. How, sh- how can I say this graciously? There are people who create curriculum for Sunday schools for churches, and those people who create the curriculums somewhere aren't necessarily any better at creating curriculums than the public school curriculum creators are. And they're trying to appeal to every church, so they're trying, they necess- ne- necessarily have to water it down somewhat, keep it very mainstream. It's about, it's about the money. It's not about the message. I mean, let's be honest. I truly believe that. It's about selling as much yeah. of a product that has pretty coloring pages and puppet skits or whatever. Yes. But are they really giving the children, I mean, teaching them how to put on the armor of God every day? Right. Do they even know what that means? Or teaching them scripture memory Absolutely. and things that used to be normal that just don't happen anymore. That's right. We're shadowing you the know. public schools too much in our churches. Exactly. And I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Again, it starts with our churches. If so, we're going to revolutionize the way we think, it starts there. It seems, it seems to me that the very basic thing that would have to happen agenda-wise is that it all begins in the family, mm-hmm. and it all begins in the family identifying what is a true Christian worldview and implementing it in their family and aligning with churches that build up the families. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that's missing is we put our kids in Sunday school, we let our adults listen to the the, the message, whatever it might be, but there's no sense of equipping families, teaching uh, young dads and moms how to raise the next generation, what they have to do to communicate the Christian message to their own kids. And so everything is left to be kind of haphazard. And some people are really wonderful at it, and some people are not at all. I think that's what we had been sharing the agenda videos at, at our church. And that's what I felt very strongly to end with last Wednesday night was pointing out that our focus does need to be on equipping the family. When we see a family unit or we have a new family come to our church and we see any level of brokenness or families that have been there forever and they're dysfunctional or whatever our number one focus truly should be restoring that family restoring the father you know to where he needs to be and we can look across america at many of the poverty uh, impoverished areas and we see fathers missing yeah. you know and so I, I totally agree with you that that our main focus should be the family unit now, David and I, a few years ago, we met a man who, whose heart was to do exactly that. And what we found is he was approaching pastors and trying to convince the pastors that we really needed to do this job of equipping the family. And I don't think he met much success in that. No, no, he didn't, uh, Bill. And uh, 
I'd like to wrap back around. Actually, I saw him the other day. I didn't have a chance to break in the conversation and, and visit with him. Uh, he was he was very bold in his presentation of mm-hmm. what he had, and I think that caused a little bit of the of the hesitation on 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 most of the pastors. It kind of scared him a little bit, I think. But uh, but in, incredible, incredible. The church actually needs to be, believe it or not, the church actually needs to be pulling back from raising the families, and they should be teaching mom and dad. First of all, they should be asking the mom and dads. There's lots of information out there that mom and dads have that they can impart to the church, that then can be imparted to the mom and dad that don't have that information. They, they don't have those experiences. They don't, they don't know. I, I just think it's huge. I, I still don't know why uh, the Lord's plan was for that to not take root. Uh, I have an opinion on that. I think that when you have boldness... And if, if that gentleman was inspired, I mean, think about the the disciples, you know, that went with Christ. How, were they received? Were they mellow enough? They were passionate because they had walked with them. And so when you're inspired in a way that that gentleman quite possibly was, the boldness was the conviction he felt because he felt he had been he had heard from God. And so I do believe that judgment has to come. And so whether he was brought there to bring a message or to provoke thought, sometimes there has to be a messenger for judgment to follow. Mm-hmm. And that's an unfortunate truth that most churches don't want to hear, but it's accurate. And so I think that that's where, you know, not every person that comes with boldness is going to be correct, but that's where prayer, you know, truly submitting to prayer and trying to, to seek out God's face and understand if people come you know, do we listen or do we turn them off because they're too bold, they're too passionate, they're too loud, they're too whatever. I think that we have to, there has to be an openness to receive direction if we feel it's inspired. And I think that's where we've gotten away from that. If it doesn't fit the mold, then don't let them in. And I think, that's too, sad. on a counterpart to that, too, like I, I agree with some of that assessment, but in the culture and climate that we have, and, and as a parent of young children, I am very skeptical of anyone I don't know. You know, I'm not going to let any random person speak over my children or to my children or without a relationship. And, and, and I have no idea about this situation. I have no idea. Who, if you knew him, then, then it would be one degree closer to, to trusting. But at the same time, you know, I personally, if someone has a boldness to come in and do that and they're a fly-by-night who knows where they came from, I wouldn't let them speak into my family without first vetting who they were or having a sense or a drawing from the Holy Spirit, you know. And, yes. and I, I don't think that that's wrong. I think that there's wisdom in that because, I mean, we've talked about things we could do in the community and going from door to door and helping people, you know. But two weeks ago, the sheriff put out information saying, hey, if you have random strangers coming to your house, don't let them in and don't let them help you because... <laughs> There's people who are scamming you, and that's a legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do with that whenever, you know, I mean, a pastor has a huge responsibility of, of who speaks into the lives of the people he's that's, responsible that's for. And, yeah, I mean, not, not I mean, to defend everyone, but, like, just knowing personally, I am skept- I don't trust anybody. Like, I trust you guys around this table mostly. I know. <laughs> I'm a little concerned about Matt over there, but no. Um, That's a great yeah, point. That's a great point. What you got me last time was talking about the homeless camps that are set up 
around here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just that really has struck me and worked on me to know that, you know, we're so busy with I, me, I'm going to speak toward to myself, so busy that you don't, they're there, there's need there, for whatever reason there's need there. I don't know how to find them. I don't know how to help them if I could find them. Right. We had a gentleman come by um, our church, and he just walked by. He showed up, and he was using the water hose, you know, just to get a drink. And he had been traveling through. He moved back to this area. He used to live here a long time ago. Moved back. Has been living in the woods. And I don't know where. He didn't say specifically where. He just says, I live in the woods. He's basically starving you know, and so, you know, we asked him to come in, we were giving him water, and he didn't want to eat because he felt that would make him sick, you know, it was to that point, and he's like, I just, I know I need to get a job, I want to do this, I want to connect with some people, but I just, I'm exhausted, you know, he's like, where can I stay, and so we gave him, like, the place to stay for several days, and, you know, it was providing that, but, but at the end of the day, I, I asked my husband, I was like, what did we do? Did we solve the problem. Yeah. And I just felt... She showed him Jesus. No, we did, you know... You know, for, I mean, for whatever seed that was planted, I mean, and if he would have taken, what, hopefully that'll take hold, but she showed him Jesus for that moment that he needed you. You give them rest, and you give them yes. water and what they need, but but then it just made me realize, like, with you, there's there's so much more out there. Yeah. There's so much brokenness and, and need. And that's where the church engages, and that's socialism. Mm-hmm. Truly investing in those that want to be invested in and trying to help them you know, find their way. But again, they have to want to be invested in. But for the church to be that safety net, I think is a beautiful answer. Mm-hmm. You know, to looking towards the government, the churches need to be the charity with a heart towards charity. That's an answer. That's a solution. Right. Mm-hmm. That's sad. So it was rough. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So we are kind of agreeing that the family is, is kind of the root thing that needs to be built up if we have an agenda, if we want to make a list. Mm-hmm. What else? We're too busy as families. I'm going to say this. I'm married to a football coach, right? Mm-hmm. And At so, Camdenton. Yeah. <laughs> and so for us, sports have... So um, does he only work like three months a year? Is that how no, I wish. I wish. <laughs> but I also think that we've allowed um, athletics, sports... Um, all these extracurricular activities for our children to become almost like a graven image. Like a, I don't know if that's the right word, sure. but it's such a distraction. And so what we've really tried to do as a family is to really rein that in. We didn't let my very talented athletic fresh going to be freshman. He played no summer basketball. I played no summer sports, very, very limited. Mm-hmm. We've really tried to sew back into our family and spending quality time because what you realize is they're gone in a minute. You know, I have two kids in college now. And so what I would also encourage families, young families to do, don't be so distracted by all of the activities you feel like your kids have to be in to be, you know, to have a, a, any success in life. They're distractions that take away from that really important time that you have as a unit. And your kids need to be a family more than you need to go play basketball in Springfield or football in some kind of a league in July. It's just, it's overdone, and I'm going to be the one to say it. And I think my husband believes that also. So we've really tried, especially with our last, maybe we made more mistakes with our first, but to rein that in and not let that take such a priority in our lives because it's a distraction that they need to see family first. And those are distractions that 
are pronounced and not right, and it's too much of it. There's just too much of it. And so we've got to get back to the basics of how to be a family and not completely be on the run all the time at practice and events and then another practice and then another practice. It's really taking away from the nurturing that we need to do as parents and the growth of our children. Some of it's healthy, too much of it's damaging. And I fear that so much of it is dam- what we see is damaging. So that's something that as a mom who's raised two and I've got one that's going starting high school, that I really think um, is important. Those are important conversations to have. Mm -hmm. Um, Directly from the mouth of my eight-year-old now is um, his excitement over family time. Um, I remember it was just one day last week. You know, we we give them lots of things. I feel like lots of good things, adventures, activities, toys, games, all of these fun things. But... The thing he was most excited about was the idea that daddy was coming home and mommy was there. And he goes, oh, this is awesome. It's going to be a family night. You know, and he goes, that was his favorite thing. And I said, oh, buddy. I said, but daddy's coming home, but mommy has to go to work, you know, and because we balance our lives out. We definitely make sure. I thought I was doing a really good thing by making sure that they don't have babysitters. They don't have daycare. They don't have outside child care. My husband has them or I have them or my mom. You know, it's a very tight unit. But... In that, we get busy, and so we kind of pass each other as we're coming and going. But what his heart's cry is more than anything, he would get rid of all of his stuff if he could have family time. All of us just together, just like simple. And I think you're right. Like We have to simplify and scale back and realize that to raise children, we don't have to provide them with the world, you know, with everything they could ever want or desire. The basic needs is just having a family. Should we be grooming kids for particular occupations? You say you're. My, you're I'm shaking no. my head. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that we need to be grooming them with skills of how to think, how to problem solve. Um, maybe I'm. Maybe I said that wrong. Should we encourage our kids to go into places of influence when they become adults? I think they're going to have their own natural giftings sure. that I recognize all three of my children are uniquely different and they have different strengths, but I think they can all be influencers by knowing that they have a voice. Now, does one of them have a particular interest in, interest in politics? Surprisingly so. Mm-hmm. Not that I would encourage it because I would never want to go into politics, but he does. So to try to nurture that and expose him... But as far as nudging my children to any occupation, I think they're all gifted in different ways. And and what I pray and what I tell them is that if you honor the Lord in all that you do, that you will be blessed in all of your, I mean, in your ways. I mean, let him direct that path because those are their giftings. So they're gifted in different ways, but to try to push them all into politics or not not ever. Yeah. Not thrive and be terribly miserable. Let me say it a different way. If we see somebody, not our own kids, who um, perhaps could be an educator or a school administrator or, or a university professor, should we be more supportive of that? Because it, it seems like a lot of times in the church what we aspire for the, the really best of the best is to become a missionary or a pastor or something or should we encourage more? Um, should we encourage people to be movie makers and musicians and yes. get into the arts? And I would agree with that. 
I would agree with that. Not, as not well. necessarily our kids. It's not like we want to dictate what our kids do. But if we see somebody who's got talent, right? I don't. I don't think our kids can become a strategy. Right. right. You know, uh, in our in our big overall plan, and I, and I know that's not what you meant uh, at all. But just to make that clear. <laughs> Uh, I don't think they should be a, a strategy. Uh, I guess. Well, yeah. now that's an interesting thought, but I do think it crosses a line. Uh, uh, but uh, encouraging, uh, nurturing, uh, paying attention to our children as to what uh, they have a propensity for, and 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 yes, passion for. I mean, that's what I looked out for in all of my kids. What what did they have a passion for? Because I wanted to. Uh, try to uh, create a springboard if they wanted to walk out on the end of it and jump up and down and dive in. You know, I, I didn't want to push them into it, but I wanted to make sure that I did everything I could do to make sure there was no nothing obstructing them from moving forward in it. And, and sometimes it was it was sacrificial, you know, and even you know even painful. <laughs> I won't go into it, but but uh, I just think that's that's. Um, that's the design of things you know we were all knitted together in a beautiful way and that beautiful way we were knitted, knitted together I think needs to needs to have every encouragement and every support to become everything that it was designed to be so, so how did the left do this are they just more um, ruthless than we are or Yes. How the, did this? The, the rules don't. The, there's no rules. See, the, the, there's no rules. You've been listening to a discussion about Christian activists operating in a more strategic way. We'll talk more about this in our next episode. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, go out and do good. Bye.